What's up, everybody? Welcome to Radically Normal. My name is Andre, and I'm here with Michael. And on today's episode, we'll be interviewing uh, one of my dear friends and mentors, uh, Captain Dan Griffin. Uh, so he is a family friend of mine. He's been one of my mentors since I've been in really honestly like middle school, maybe a little earlier. Um, he's helped me make a lot of big decisions in my life, like where I went to school, some you know school project stuff. Um, but yeah, he's a pilot for American Airlines, and we're really excited uh, to get to interview him today and how he's been able to you know live his life uh, in the faith and as he's worked his job. Uh, so you want to take a second to tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and tell the audience a little bit about uh, potentially your family, your career, whatever else you want to go into. Okay, I uh, grew up in New England, uh, went to a Catholic, all-boy Catholic high school, St. John's, all-male Catholic high school, Holy Cross, played basketball in high school and college, uh, went into the Navy, um, spent about eight years in the Navy, uh, flew in Vietnam, uh, I'm married, I've got five children from ages 42, and the twins are the youngest, they're 31. Um, I flew in combat, uh, went to Top Gun, went to test pilot school, kind of checked all the boxes for a carrier aviator, and then get out <clears throat> and joined uh, American Airlines. Uh, worked for them for just under 40 years. I uh, have flown all their airplanes, retired off the 777 as an international uh, Czech airman and captain. Uh, upon retirement, I went to work for the FAA, and also for a company called Air Transport International, and I'm the director of training for them. And uh, they fly all the Amazon stuff. So all your Amazon goods that show up, those pilots that fly those airplanes with the prime smile on them. Um, I'm in process of training them, and we're hiring, hiring, hiring. It's the one airline that is uh, very busy hiring. So uh, I think all that adds up to me being about 70 years old with about 58 years of flying and about 42,000 hours in the airplane. That's it. Uh, and I just had COVID. I get over COVID. So I beat COVID barely, but I beat it. So that puts you right up to date. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. You know, we actually have a good friend of ours that has done a little bit of flying uh, ever since high school. And actually, interestingly, um, I actually got to fly in one of the simulators with you a couple years back. So that was, that was really a fun time. But speaking more to uh, your career, um, and your time, um, you know, speaking to, to your whole career, um, how have you been able to, um, you know, share the gospel potentially in the workplace? How has that uh, gone for you? Specifically, one thing that came to mind for me was, um, has there ever, ever been a point where you've been, you know, for example, able to say, um, you know, some common thing like God bless you uh, to people, you know, potentially getting on an airplane, leaving the airplane, um, that kind of thing, and has have those regulations changed over time? It's really interesting to me to think. Uh, obviously, Michael and I um, haven't been able to experience as much of working in the in, in the workplace, and, and we've seen kind of those things um, in our you know modern society kind of diminish in our ability to be able to do things like that, such as say Merry Christmas. Um, so, you want to speak a little bit to that and, and how things have kind of changed, and, and give a perspective on that. Well, back in the 70s, um, when I started in the airlines uh, as a fighter pilot, um, being uh, religious, as they say, religious, that wasn't really one of the uh, um, one of the requirements. Um, it was a little bit of the Top Gun, uh, Iceman and Maverick type thing, you know, and there was, really wasn't a lot of the Lord that was visited upon. So back in those days, um, that was uh, I grew up in the Catholic religion and uh, 
I don't know that I had a relationship with the Lord. I kind of, we kind of had this deal, you know, and I would, I would do what I needed to do to stay on the right side of what I needed to do. And he would take care of me flying off of aircraft carriers at night. And we kind of had this arrangement, but it really wasn't a relationship. It was just kind of an arrangement. So anyways, back in those days, there was no such thing as being a Christian or do you have a relationship with the Lord or do you, do you know Jesus? It was uh, Griffin's kind of religious. You know, we didn't talk like we do. He talks a little bit different. So he goes to church. So be careful. And then um, towards the end of my time in the Navy and just as I started with um, with American, I had a, someone in my house, uh, long hair, earrings, totally from a different side of the street, land carpet. And he said to me, do you know Jesus? And I could show you where I was, where, where I was standing. And um, I said, well, I, I think so. You know, he said, are you a Christian? I said, well, I go to church, you know, da, da, da. he said, well, that's this. Let me show you what, let me show you what it says in the Bible. So we sat down and, and, and read that. And that was the first time that, you know, I had had that presented to me. And uh, so I understood it. And then shortly thereafter, um, I did accept the Lord. I went out and got baptized um, in a tank. And those of you that don't know what a tank is, if you're from Texas, it's like a small muddy pond of water and got baptized. And um, so that was how I moved from being religious to being a Christian. So back uh, when I joined American Airlines, uh, that would have been back in the late 70s. Uh, it wasn't a cool place to be a Christian in the cockpit. It was kind of like what you're talking about. But as I progressed through the ranks and I was, um, I became a Czech airman who does a lot of training. I checked out as a captain and then I did a lot of training and then I'm the captain. So I can kind of say and do what I want to say. So somewhere probably Andre around the year, the late nineties or so, um, when I became a captain, I was able to say to people, you know, God bless you. And can I pray for you? And I didn't really worry about what they said or what came back at me because I was the captain. I was the guy. So my uh, interest, the interesting thing to that is, um, so I would always, if someone was having a tough time, you'd be in a cockpit and there might be three or four of you up there. And um, out of the, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of times that I said to a co-pilot or to a flight engineer, hey, I'd like to pray for you. Is it okay if I pray for you? How many times do you think I had somebody said, uh, no, thanks, I'm good? Not one time. And there were some pretty tough hombres up there. So anyways, I, I learned that what I was doing was not just flying airplanes. It was a vocation. It was a way for me to represent the Lord in a way. I loved what I was doing. He gave me something that I just was very natural for me to do. I have a gift to do what I think that he gave me uh, in teaching and platform teaching and being around people. I ran a program at American Airlines called the Checkmate Program for 15 years. So where people were having problems with training, I mean, it happens everywhere. You know, they struggle with training, fail a check ride. Well, they'd go to the union and the union would get a hold of me and then I would work with them. So they gave me an opportunity to work with broken people, broken pilots, divorced, going through divorces, kids sick, all these things. So it gave me an opportunity to to kind of share a little bit about what God could mean in their lives. So, and again, I was in a position where I didn't have to worry about anybody saying anything about me because I was the instructor. I was the, you know, I was the captain. Um and so I would say to you, Andre, in the last 20 years of my career, 
I never left a cockpit without saying God bless you. I never left a student without saying God bless you. I never left a classroom with having 20, 30, 40, 60 people without saying God bless you. Sometimes it was a little uncomfortable because of the, cl the clientele in there. But at the end of the day, it didn't bother me because I had enough people that would come to me um, over, over that, those years that would say, do you realize that you say God bless you every time, you know, you leave us? And I go, yeah, I know that. I know that. So to me, I think I, I had a, you know, just a wonderful career. I think I did everything aviation-wise as, as good as it could be done. I, I, I got to press all the buzzers, buzzers and bells, flew all the big airplanes, flew over the, all around the world, North Pole, South Pole, every place you could imagine. And I think that, and I did it really well, if I can say that. And I just think that how I presented myself would be a representation of how the Lord would want me to, to be and to share his presence. And back in the day, there wasn't a lot of that in the cockpit. Back in the 70s and 80s and even 90s. But now it's quite different. Now in the cockpits, you, it's not unusual for people to talk about the Lord and not talk about Christianity and, not, and to talk about things. I got a son that's having a problem or whatever. So uh, it really has come quite a full circle. You'd be surprised that from where it was 20, 30 years ago to where it is today, uh, being a Christian is accepted and saying, do you know the Lord? Have you met Jesus? Those are things that, you know, they're not going to throw you out of the airplane at, you know, 30,000 feet to report you to the union. So, so it's all good. So God has shown up there to me a little bit stronger than he has ever before in the airline. And I would say I'm with, that's with American. I would say that's the same with Delta United South, Alaska, you name it. I would guess that it's probably very much the same. That's really cool. And, you know, for those of you guys who, you know, potentially don't, I uh, know Captain Dan very well, like as I do, but you know it's it's very rare to even get a text message from him that doesn't end in, in "God bless you" um, and and have a few words of encouragement. So it's really cool to to, to hear you say that. You know that's kind of a part of your uh, mo over there with the airlines. So that's that's really, cool. sir. Thank well, you. I think. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Oh, I was just gonna say thank you so much for sharing your testimony. That was incredible, and uh, just it's clear that your career is extensive there. And I was just gonna ask you if. You said you flew, fly all, all over the world. Did you have a favorite place to fly to or to see when you were flying? Well, I got there were there's a lot of things that would be striking, and you know, I, I mean, things that people would never get to see. Um, and there's some things that you would get to see. So the things you would never see at the North Pole. You go over the North Pole, and I mean, there's not nothing up there. There's no wind. There's no weather. There's no airplanes. Nobody goes over the North Pole because it's. It, I mean, the last time I was up there was minus 150 degrees centigrade. And your fuel freezes up there. So there's reasons not to go over the right, you know, right over the North Pole. But that was kind of a place that was a little bit eerie up there. So that was something that was special. Um, it was always fun for me to fly to Alaska out of Dallas because you'd go up and you can go up the inner passageway or the outer. And, um, oh, just the glaciers and the snow and the fjords. Just, I mean, you just can't grasp it. Uh, going over to, um, to Japan or to uh, Hong Kong, the ring of fire with all the volcanoes that are all lined up there that you read about. There, It is a ring of fire. And where you'd go if something happened to you, flying big airplanes around the planet, flying the airplanes isn't isn't the big deal. Uh, these airplanes, this 777 weighs almost, a t almost uh, uh, 800,000 pounds at takeoff, so almost a million pounds. And a third of that is fuel. It's, the, it's not hard to fly it. It's where do you go if something goes wrong or somebody gets sick. Um, 
the, the Hawaiian islands are really cool. I would say the Hawaiian islands are probably my favorite place. As a matter of fact, I did so much flying um, out there. They used to call me Maui Dan. So it wasn't Captain Dan, it was Maui Dan. So the things that, that I, that are, that are still remarkable, that are still kind of wedged in my, um, in my mind are kind of sunsets and sunrises. And you get to see those just like I do being above um, the atmosphere a little bit uh, at 30 or 40,000 feet. Um, you know, it's a little bit cleaner up there when the sun comes up and the sun goes down. Um, but I would say sunsets and sunrises are just spectacular. And it's just like, I mean, you asked the question prior to this, you know, what's it like in the cockpit? Does, does God exist in the cockpit? Um, those are, those are times when I would look over to the pilot next to me and say, God's, God's given us that sunrise. He's given us that sunset just for you or just for your son or just for this or just for that. And, uh, you know, you know, there's no coincidences. Okay. You know, you know, God is good. Dot, dot, dot all the time. And, you know, coincidences don't happen. If somebody, something happens and all of a sudden they find their car keys or their, or their ID that they couldn't find. Well, um, Thank you, Jesus. I mean, that's what I would say, you know, I'd say that in the house and I'd, there's always a reason, you know, no matter how negative something might be, there's usually a positive hook into it that you can say thank you, Jesus about. So, but anyway, so sunsets and sunrises that you get to see just like I do, but some of these other things like the North Pole, the Ring of Fire, uh, the Inner Passageway, um, those are all really, really neat things that um, I was blessed, very blessed to see over and over again. And I never, never get tired of them, never. They never became just, you know, something that I didn't take advantage of just marveling at the, the creator. And how could we ever not think there was a creator when you see some of these things? So those, I would share that with you. Any chance Santa's up there at the North Pole? I have seen Santa a number of times, a number <laughs> of times. Um, I'm sure that I have. So um, I don't know. He's, but it's, it, he might not be right on the North Pole. He might be right off the side of it. It's not quite as, as cold up there. But golly, it's like I say, until you've been up there, it's eerie. Because, you know, in order to get from sometimes from, uh, um, from east to west, you would think that you would go to the west. But a lot of times because of winds and things, you'll go east. And it'll actually, if you say, for example, want to go out of here, out of DFW to Hong Kong, you know, you basically turn to the west to take off. A lot of times you'll turn to the northeast and go over Detroit, go over the wrong, go over the, go over the North Pole on the wrong side to get there just because of winds. And when you look at the distances going around the globe, the distances are about the same. So anyways, it's kind of interesting. Do you want to explain? So yes, Santa is up there. <laughs> Do you want to expand a little bit? You talked briefly about this and talking to your fellow pilots in the, in the cockpit, but a little bit about how just seeing creation and seeing the sunsets and the rises and the volcanoes and that sort of thing just deepens your affection for God. Yeah. You know, I'm 70 if you do the math and uh, you know, I think that God has put me in positions um, not to fly, just fly airplanes. I've always had the ability, you know, everybody has certain abilities. You know, you guys are brilliant with math and geometry and I know Andre and engineering, you know, my deal is I can fly an airplane. You know, I went to Top Gun and uh, ended up at the top of the class. I just could always fly an airplane for some reason, a little better than most other people. So it gave me a platform to be able to realize that I was being either watched or looked at, or what does he do different than what I do? So 
I just felt like, you know, thankfully those gifts were given to me. And then when I got mature enough to realize that I needed to use those gifts, not just to fly you and your families halfway around the world safely. Um, it was an opportunity for me, especially in training and being a platform teacher to represent that skill set in a way that God had blessed me with. Um, and that's, was kind of my inner peace or my inner sanctum. Um, sometimes it got in the way of family, you know, sometimes, you know, that would, that kind of stuff would translate all the way here and then into the evening and having, uh, you know, four or five kids running around with homework and, you know, and all the things that, that need to be done. I, um, I was able to coach all their baseball teams and all their basketball teams and all that stuff because of my, because of my schedule and how I was able to control it. So, um, you know, the bigger, the bigger picture is, you know, um, you know, the relationship I have with Holly and then the kids, you know, and then I watch the kids grow up behind me and see what they've picked up, you know, what they, where their lives are and what they've done. And they're much, I mean, they're far beyond where I was at their age, you know, and that's, I think that's just because of what they see and what they caught, not what they were taught. So um, we had a leadoff son who was awesome, like, you know, and what he's, what he passed down to his brothers and sisters, they picked up and um, we're just really lucky, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it gets a little bit emotional at the end of the day, you just want to make sure that, that when you get there, that they're going to get there too behind you at some point in time, you know, I don't know if I answered your question. Remember I told you sometimes I kind of end up down a rabbit hole. I have to dig myself. Where did, I, where did this start from? So, but anyway, so yeah, that's, that's kind of it. God blessed me with the skill set, and, and I don't take it for advantage. You know, I don't take it for granted. And um, I think it's a way for me to minister. It's a way that he puts me in places in front of people to minister what's where the truth is. And, um, and I don't have any problems <laughs> telling anybody what the truth is. I mean, it's not like, you know, back when you're in your twenties or thirties, maybe you're a little bit hesitant to say where your real strength at bearing. There's nothing in me now that's going to hold me back from saying, this is the Lord. This is who I believe in. These are the, these are the, these are the, um, you know, the scriptures that I carry with me every time I fly, you know, I mean, that's just who I am. Take it or leave it. That's <laughs> <laughs> really good. And, you know, you kind of alluded to the fact that a lot of times the, the most difficult thing is potentially, you know, if someone gets sick or, or something maybe going on with, with the passengers themselves. So getting back to kind of that discussion on the North Pole and, and, and Santa, um, you know, this episode is probably going to release sometime around Christmas. So do you have any you know, interesting stories about a time when you flew during the holidays, you know, maybe the Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's uh, time? I, I feel like there's a lot of movies where crazy things happen during that time. And, and, you know, does that hold true or is it just in the movies or do you have some crazy stories that maybe happen? You mean, you mean snakes with the snakes, all the snakes on airplanes, that kind of stuff? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I used to like flying at those times. I used to like flying on mother's day. I used to like flying uh, on Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, not to the exclusion of the family, but it, to me it was a time where families were together and it was a time to really let them know that that airplane wasn't flying itself, that there was somebody up there that cared for them. And I'd have, I always have an introductory, you know, little uh, PA about who I am. And this is who's with me today. And we got six kids between us and we're going to get you from A to B as safely as possible. And I just need you to know that this is you're in great hands. And we just, da, da, da. so, and if something didn't go right, it would give me the ability to, to, to go back and connect. I had an event 
once where we were in terrible turbulence. It was just terrible. And um, the flight attendants called up the number one. She came up into the cockpit and said, Dan, we got a problem. People are crying back here. People have rosary beads and Bibles out. They, I mean, they are scared. And it was, it was really bad, but the line of weather extended all the way down into Florida and we couldn't get through it. I mean, I couldn't cross over. It just looked like probably an hour of this stuff, you know? So I got on the, I got on the PA and I just told them, I said, look at this is who I am. And uh, I need you to know something. I said, I got two of my kids in the back. And they said, as soon as they heard that my children were in the back of the airplane, it settled everybody down as soon as they knew that I had my kids on that airplane. So, um, you know, I, as, as best I could, could, I always tried to deliver that message. Um, and like I say, on Mother's Day and Christmas, and I'd always make a PA as we came into the gate about God bless you and uh, you can be safe and we'll look for you again. My favorite, one of my favorite um, things that ever happened was I used to go out, the VP of flight would always have me go out to Tucson and the kids make a wish um, they would have the kids out there, all these kids that had issues and problems and all these things that the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and they'd bring these kids and they'd put them on an airplane. And for many years, I'd take them in the, up on the airplane and they'd feed them hot, hot foot Sundays and food and we'd come back and we'd come back, they'd land and they'd turn the terminal, they'd turn it into a wonderland. They'd have Santa there, they'd have ice skating rinks, they'd have reindeer. So when the kids got off, they thought they were in the North Pole. Well, one year I went, and this is, you know, this would happens with legality. I went to take off, and the, the, the station manager said, you can't take off. We're not going to let you take off. And I said, I'm, I'm Captain Dan. I'm, the VP of flight told me that I've taken these kids on a flight. And he said, well, the VP of flight doesn't own this airplane, and I'm telling you, you can't take off. So we got all those kids there. We got 160 kids there, and they boarded the airplane. And, you know, I'm going, oh, my goodness. So I didn't know what to do. So, I mean, I really kind of did a little micro prayer or something. And I looked up and there was there was some red and green. It's kind of like duct tape. So I gave it to the flight attendants and I told the flight attendants to run around, pull all the window shades down and tape the windows down with the duct tape, tape it tight. And then we pushed back from the gate and we went out. Then I briefed the tower on what we we're going to do. I said, we're going to go ahead and do a high speed rejected takeoff. So we're, I'm going to get going to about 150 miles an hour, and then I'm going to slowly air, but then I'm going to taxi around the, the airport for about an hour and a half so that we can feed these kids and give them Sundays. Well, if you think about this thing, if you're on an airplane and you're just taxiing or in the air, it kind of feels the same. And it was, it got dark. It was at night. So they never knew that they weren't in the air. And then when we came back, I accelerated slowly and then I went into full reverse and jammed the brakes on and the airplane jumped around. And anyway, so we came back to the gate, got back to the gate, got off. And then Santa's there and they got the animals and all the snow and everything. So that was probably my biggest, that was probably the coolest thing as far as a Christmas event with kids that really touches me that I, that I can remember and share with you. Wow, that's great. That's an awesome story. So just to follow up on what, well, I guess what I started with our North Pole and Santa theme, but to continue Andre's uh, talk about Christmas. So obviously you would know that Christmas is just super chaotic with lots of travel and everyone's going out and buying gifts. So just for you, how do you just stay focused on Jesus and what people would say is the reason for the season when it seems very chaotic? Well, you know, it's a little different now because, you know, um, now I got grandkids. So, you know, you can kind of, you can kind of monitor and kind of help 
manage these things when you have children. But now when you get grandkids coming in and you get your kids and then six grandkids coming in or five or many going to be here, it does make it tough. So, but as, as kind of the leader of the house, when they come in, you know, you have to kind of pick your moments. You got to kind of pick opportunities with somebody in your lap or making sure that grace before meals is meaningful and it touches everybody in a way that, and then finding an opportunity maybe to be with everybody at a certain point in time to let them know how thankful you are and how proud of them you are and how they're raising your, your, they're raising their kids what a good job they're doing with whether their job or their spouse, or I noticed that this is what you did. So, you know, a lot of sometimes raising kids, you might have to watch them for a long time to find something that they do right. And then when you find it, when they do right, you have to acknowledge it. So, um, and that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's kind of the same thing at Christmas. You kind of have to take sections or find times when you see something or try to grab one of the grandkids and when you can get them in their lap and, and talk to them a little bit, but you know, we're kind of blessed here. We got a bunch of kids that already know the Lord and even at a very young age. So for me it is, but it, but it is hard. It is. I mean, it's hard with all this going on and then this COVID thing and all that that brings to it. We've got one of our daughters um, with her little daughter Sawyer up in Denver and she's kind of elected not to come down just because of the virus and the exposure and things. So this will be the first time in 31 years that we haven't had her with us. So, so anyways, but now with technology, we can talk and Zoom and, and, and everybody can get on. So I, I guess that's my intent moving forward to this thing. Like I say, now it's a little bit quieter here because the kids are all gone, but they will all come back in under the fold here for three or four or five or six days. Hopefully not more than that, but, you know, that's when they'll be here for it. So I'll take an opportunity to try to be with each of them in a, in a special time. Because at the end of the day, you know, right now you're building memories because you're you're in the in the last chapter, you know you've finished three chapters or maybe three and a half chapters of four of your life, and you're in the last you know the last twenty yards of the of the season, and it's the last quarter of the basketball game or whatever. So moments that you spend now become more important to me as a grandfather to make sure they have pieces of me to take forward and remember. That's right. Really Healthy Jesus is a big part of that. So. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, thinking more to that, um, yeah, I, I know a lot of, you know, college students or people our age uh, or whoever's potentially listening, at times it can get, you know, especially difficult to, you know, stay grounded in community, um, you know, uh, church life with COVID and everything going on and, and having to potentially do that virtually. But uh, it sounds to me like you did have some, some freedom making your schedule uh, throughout your career, but you know, as a pilot, obviously, it's, it's difficult at times when you have to travel on uh, weekends or Sundays. So I feel like some, um, you know, encouragement from you would be, would be great for um, some of our listeners who, um, you know, might be wondering how, how you're able to stay grounded with your relationships with other believers in, in your church uh, as you were, you know, flying around potentially on, on weekends or Sundays or, or when Bible studies were happening or, or whatever. Well, you know, I did have a lot of, I did have flexibility because of what I did. And I did a lot of things like flying all nighters. So I would fly a lot of, a lot of the flying I did would be from 10 o'clock at night till six o'clock in the morning. So uh, it would give me the ability to, you know, be at church. That was always a priority. That wasn't an option. Um, you know, and the kids with uh, what their commitments were to church as well. And they, and Holly was really good with them and, and all the extracurriculars that they would do. Um, to help people out in the community, especially around the holidays. So um, 
you know, I don't know. It just kind of works out under you kind of, a lot of times these things are, how do you do it one day at a time? You know, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Well, I'm going to get through the next hour, but, um, you know, God always, he always presents an avenue. I mean, he, he never gives you something you can't carry. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of responsibility that goes with that. Um, you kind of look back and you say, could I have done it better? Yeah, I probably could have. Should I have done this? Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the thing that was, Holly was a flight attendant and me being a captain. So we had to work opposite schedules a lot of times with the kids. So a lot of times, you know, she'd, she'd be gone in the morning, she'd leave at five and she'd get back in four in the afternoon and then I'd go off at night. So we both had pretty full careers um, in, in raising, raising the kids, but it's just a matter of making priorities. And I know your mom and dad and, you know, your dad is a tough guy, but I know what his priorities are. You know, your mom is awesome. She's just, she's just a kind, such a kind, sweet person. And your dad's kind of tough, you know, but they, I see what they do. You know, I, you know, a lot of this stuff is who you are when nobody's looking, you know, that's one of the things. Uh, what, what can I, what can I do for you? And that means more to do something for you when you can't do something back for me. So one of the things if growing up that I tried to share with the kids would be, you know, when you do something for somebody that, Oh, well, I'm going to do this for you because I'm expecting there's an opportunity maybe down the road that you could do something for me. But really what, one of the things to look at when you have in relationships and when you're doing things for people to do things for people that, that have no chance to repay you would do something in return for you. So I might be drifting off where your target is, but that's probably, that's probably the best. We had, um, when the twins were born, you know, we had, we had the kids and the twins, of course, they were, they were crazy. But anyway, so I would explain our life growing up for those first years is life in a blender. It's just, it was life in a blender and it was hard work, keeping God at the center of it, your marriage second, keeping the kids in line and just trying to get them in bed at night. <laughs> and at the end of the night, it was like, okay, we made it through another day. Sometimes it's just getting through another day. So, but it's all good. Yeah, I think life can feel like that a lot of times, especially, you know, when in college or, you know, starting our careers or, you know, even with this COVID environment, it feels like that a lot of times. A big encouragement to hear how, you know, it was like that for you as well. And, and you know, we've obviously heard, you know, the fruits of, of your hard work throughout this interview. I think that was really evident to everyone that, you know, taking those steps and doing that hard work early on makes a really big difference. So thank you for, for sharing that. I, I, I would say something to you all, to your listeners your age out there, um, things that really mean a lot to me. I did a lot of coaching. Um, it still means so much to me when somebody, you know, 35 or 40 years old calls me coach. You know, when somebody, somebody in a grocery store, I, I you know, I kind of see somebody and if they go out of their way, to approach me to just say, Hey coach, how's it going or something. So if you have the opportunity to reach out to somebody that's been with you or mentored you or coached you or a teacher or whatever it is, it, and the older we get, the older that teacher or coach becomes, the more validating that is that somehow they touched you and you want to take, cause the way we go now with technology and, and, and all, everything that happens, you know, writing notes and is a lost art. I mean, a written note to somebody, blows them away you get i get a note in the mail from somebody you know where it goes it goes in my top drawer i can show them all to you if i get a written note from somebody it goes in the top drawer but they don't happen everybody has to email or text or whatever 
but a written note or an acknowledgement in a grocery store for, for people your age is really, it's at this time of year, it's, or any time, it really is, it's, it's very warming. It's very solidifying to let you know that, hey, I made a little bit of a difference and maybe in that person's life and um, it makes me feel good. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. That's something that Andre and I will both have to keep in mind and for sure a lot of listeners as well. And I just want to close the interview with a question we ask every guest or that we've asked the last four guests this season. And it's kind of lighter, but uh, do you have, do you, are you a coffee drinker? Do you have a favorite coffee drink? Uh, we, we like coffee a lot. And so we just tend to ask guests this at, at the end of our interviews. Well, I, I never really drank coffee until the last few years or so, you know, um, and now I run into Costco and whatever, whatever Keurig cups I can get that have the most in the box. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I'm pretty easy as long as, but my problem is I kind of like it girly. You know, I got to have the Hagen Day stuff in it. So I can, I do about anything. So I'm not, I'm not particular. All my kids have these other lattes and toffee nut stuff and all this stuff. So, I mean, if I can get a sip of one of those, I'll steal it, but that's not like coffee. So no, I do drink a cup of coffee today. So, but I didn't do much of it until the last 10 years or so. How about you? What, what kind of coffees do you like? I'm a big fan of, uh, it's probably something you think your kids would drink, but it's called a peppermint mocha is an amazing drink. And now Starbucks and some other coffee shops also have something called a nitro cold brew um, oh. infused with nitrogen or something, but it tastes really good. Um, that's about it, I guess. And then Andre and I always rave on the podcast about how we like uh, peppermint mocha coffee cream, which just adds like, <laughs> oh. it's really good. I may have to try that. I'm just the Hagen Days guy that with, you know, with, was it Hagen? No, it's not Hagen Days. It's the hazelnut, hazelnut. Oh, okay. I, I got to have. So it's got to be kind of girly. My coffee is always kind of girly. So, but anyways, um, you guys remember, um, you know, in conversations, when you're in conversation, I can tell your skill set is, is, is tuned with this, but you know, it's always important, you know, for you to reach out and ask other people you know, how they're doing and look them in the eye. You know, it's one of those lost talents. You know, it's like knowing how to shake a person's hand and be firm with it. Of course, now it's COVID, so you don't get to do that. Or how to make eye contact and look them in the eye when you're talking to them. Those are just little things that I can tell you got, you all have. But some of those skill sets are lost, you know. And, um, uh, you know, you've never you never looked into the eyes of somebody that doesn't matter to Jesus. So sometimes those little things in the back, even though you're too busy and you're going to school and you got jobs and you're trying to girlfriends and all that stuff. But you know, when you make eye contact with somebody, um, they matter to God and that, that matters to him that you're taking that time for him. So especially, especially moving forward at this time of the season. And thank you so much for, you know, all the insights you shared and telling us about your testimony and, and all about your career and, and how you've been able to uh, really share the gospel through all of that. We've really enjoyed interviewing with you and we hope everyone listening has enjoyed it, uh, this interview as well. So tune back next week uh, for another episode of Brad Up the Normal. Thanks guys. Thank you.